Well, good morning, Olive Branch. And we, God has been doing something pretty cool, I think, around, um, around this, these chapters of John here at Olive Branch, just challenging us to go deeper with him, to become more clear about how he wants to move us into intimacy. In fact, today what we're going to talk about is the most unique aspect of Christianity. There's nothing like this in any other religion anywhere in the world, and it answers a basic question so many people are pondering and wondering right now. How many of you like the Discovery Channel or the History Channel? Anybody in here is like a big History Channel, Discovery Channel fan? I used to get to watch the Discovery Channel or the History Channel every once in a while. I'll occasionally get to my, my dad's house or whatever and turn it on and try to see what's there. And the History Channel ceased to be a History Channel, I guess, a few years ago. And now it's mainly an ancient aliens channel, apparently. Um, that somehow history doesn't sell, but sure, uh, suspicions about aliens who did everything sure does. I find that fascinating. Fascinating because there are groups of people like the SETI group and many others. It's grown since the 1970s through various movies and, and different platforms to, to ask this basic question, hey, are we alone? Are we the only ones in this gigantic universe that exists? And maybe you've seen in the newspapers all the different planets they've found, and then they show these beautiful photos of the, and they're not photos, they're actually artist renditions. And, um, you know, they find all these planets, exoplanets uh, that are out there, and they're trying to claim, hey, look, Look, this is a place where you're going to find, you know, life because it's perfect for that. And if you begin to examine the details, you start to find out, no, it's just a nice location. Maybe it's close. Maybe it's too close. There's so many variables. We're just not sure. But the... The chances of life out there seem so astronomical. People are running around looking, going, hey, is there something more? Is there someone out there? Is there some kind of, some kind of beings or creatures or whatever that could, hey, tell us where we came from? And that's what I'm finding is interesting. It's moved away from do they exist to can we find the ones who made us? Because all the science is indicating such a detailed amount of actual precision in the way that human beings are designed and the way that animals are designed from the DNA, the information in DNA, the precision in the cell, all of this stuff leads people to go, wait a minute, this whole planet and all of the things that are on it seem to have been designed together. Well, there's got to be some explanation out there. Maybe Maybe it's found from some other ancient aliens or on another planet. Uh, it's, it's interesting because what they're seeking for is the maker without any responsibility to the maker. And at the same time, as Christians, we go, hey, is, are we all alone? Is this all, is all there is, the, the beings on this planet, and that is it? And we've always said, historically, the answer to that question is, no, we're not alone. In fact, there's, there are other beings. Now, are they on other planets? We, you know, we're open to that conversation. But actually, aliens versus angels seems to be the new conversation, right? Angels are spiritual beings that don't exist on this planet. God is a spiritual being who obviously resides throughout the universe, beyond the universe and on. He created the universe. And so in the Christian conversation, there isn't just this simple like, nah, human beings and this planet, that's it. It's very clearly been, yes, there are things beyond our reality. There are beings who are, are spiritual beings beyond what we just simply experience on earth. And so when we get into this, that spiritual being question is interesting because some of us as Christians, we, we go, yeah, we know we're supposed to believe in angels. We know we're supposed to believe in God. We know that Jesus came and, and he revealed God to us and he's supposed to tell us what God is like. 
and, and then somehow it's like God just disappeared. God worked all of this amazing stuff from, from the beginning of time all the way through the Exodus, all through Israel, all the way up to Jesus, and then Jesus ascended into heaven, and the apostles did some stuff, and boom, that's it. And there seems to be this question like, well, did God leave us alone? I mean, yeah, we know he exists and he's up there somewhere, but is he engaged? Is he active Out of, outside of having shown off what he's like in Jesus? Or did he just kind of ascend into heaven and go away? What's going on? Because I know some of you have ran into the struggles that in, in the middle of tragedy, you have wondered, is God even near? You don't sense that God's with you or near you or hearing you. Some of you have tried prayer out in your life and conversations with God, and you feel like really it, it seems more like your, your voice is just bouncing off the walls in your bedroom more than there's a God who is here who is speaking to us. And, and quite honestly, the majority of Americans who believe in a God God really kind of just believe, yeah, God's up there in heaven waiting for us to get there. Maybe he, he helps out the USA once in a while, but in all honesty, it's, it's kind of like God's not really up in life. There's not miracles that happen every day and all the time. And yet, Jesus addresses the very issue of his ascending and, and leaving. He, he says, guys, I want to point out something to you. I want to give you some comfort. And what he does, as we've been reading his conversation to his disciples the night before he would be, the night of his betrayal and the, before he was crucified, is that he, he wants to explain to them, I'm not leaving you alone. In fact, his point today will be this. If we love Jesus, we've not been left alone. We're not alone not only not alone in this universe, you and I have not been left alone to figure out this life and this, this thing we call Christianity. And so I want to challenge you guys to examine what Jesus says. And this is, I'm not going to be able to get through all the details of these passages. We're going to fly through this at kind of like a larger level. It's challenge you guys to study this a little deeper in your week and, and read it in a little further. If you're new to the Bible, that's cool. We actually are providing Bibles for you, but we're going to go to John chapter 14, beginning in verse 12 and forward. If you need a Bible, they're under the seats, pull one out. Otherwise, you can pull it up on your device there on John chapter 12 or John chapter 14, verse 12. Jesus has, um, so you're caught up, and if you haven't been here, Jesus has just had the Passover meal with his disciples, and he's just explained to them after washing their feet that they're to love one another, and that one of them is going to betray him. Now, Judas has gone up and left, and Jesus now turns and says, hey guys, love one another as I have loved you. This is the new command I give you, and, and, but I'm leaving. And Peter goes, no, you're not. I'll follow you wherever. And Jesus tells Peter, well, you're going to not betray me, but you're going to deny me three times before the morning. So now they're all bummed out. And so last week we saw that Jesus tried to comfort them first with a response that, hey, look, heaven is open for you guys because you know me. And you know the Father because you know me. And you're going to go out into this world and continue to bring as many people into this world into knowing me as possible. And in, in a way, he's saying, I'm making a bunch of little Jesuses. And you're all going to go out as little Jesuses, little Christs into this world to reach and share this message with as many people as possible. And that's kind of where he left off. We'll back up and re-pick up there in verse 12 just a bit. So let's look at this. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever trusts trusts in me or believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the Father. So right there he says, you guys are going to go out and you're going to do my mission. 
You're going to live out what I, what I was here to do. You're going to do my works. You're going to do my mission. And this is because I'm with the Father. So note, Jesus kind of progresses through the text of where he's at. I'm with you guys. I'm going to be leaving. I'm going to be with my Father. So now he's talking about what life's going to be like when he's with his Father. And he says this, because I'm going to the Father, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I'll do it. So he says, I'll answer your prayers, not because you tagged on in Jesus' name at the end of your prayer. That's not what he's saying. That, that may, what he's saying is if you pray for that which I desire in the mission, I'm going to answer it. If this is according to my mission, according to my name, according to what I'm up to in this world, hey, yeah, I'm going to be all about that. And so he says, I'll listen to you if you will obey me. In fact, that's where he moves in verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And this is his opening salvo in our section. That, listen, if you love me, if you're, you're somebody who is devoted to me, if you're somebody who calls yourself a Christian, if you're a Christ follower, then you're going to obey my commands. In fact, this is underlined many times that those who love Jesus obey Jesus. Look down at verse 21 in your, in your, in, in your Bible. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. Now go down to verse 23. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. So it seems like Jesus is pretty serious here. <laughs> He's saying, hey guys, you got this love for me? Don't leave it at emotions, which is important for our culture, right? I mean, our culture is an emotional culture. Are we all agreed on that? It, we feel like, hey, this feels right. We do it. We feel this, especially with love. Love's that thing you fall in, you fall out of, you, you feel it, and, and then you don't feel it anymore. But love has nothing to do, in this case, with only feelings. Yes, you're supposed to have a devotion towards Jesus. You're supposed to have a, the right feelings towards Christ. And in this case, it's love. It's agape, devotion or desire to, to be after him. But that that is attached to right action, which is obedience. That if you call yourself a Christian, then you should be obeying the commands of Christ. Now, there's a couple responses we can get to right there. First of all, is one response is, man, isn't that legalism? I mean, aren't we just saying that we got to do these things and, and then we know we're Christians? Actually, legalism, technically, in the Bible, is that you have to do these things to be saved. And that you have to follow the law in order to be right with God. There's, that's not what Jesus is saying. He's not saying, if you'll follow the law, then you love me and you'll be right with me. No, he's saying that if you love me, what will erupt from your life, it is a desire and an ability to obey my commands. And in fact, it's in a general sense because the second response is the response I get. I suck at this. I'm horrible at obeying Jesus a lot of times in my life. Anybody there with me right now? Or should I get down and let you preach, right? We, we stink at this. We, we, we oftentimes will go through the week and sometimes you're like, you've got momentum. You like talk to somebody about Jesus. You had some, some quiet time. You feel good. You feel like you've cared about somebody. Maybe last week or a couple weeks ago, you forgave that person and you immediately pick that resentment right back up and now you're holding on to it again. You're like, oh man, that's not what God asked me to do. That's not what Jesus commanded me. You meet a brother in, in, in your small group and he does something, insults you and you're just like, I can't handle you today. 
And you don't love him like Christ would. You said you insult him and badmouth him when you get home. I mean, we've done all these things. For me, it was this week. I'm sitting there at a table at a meeting and everything in me, I had to tell everybody all the good things I did because I needed my pride and my, my arrogance just be kind of massaged the right way. And I, right when I was done, I thinking to myself, I should not have said that. And then I read this and I'm like, I do not love Jesus. This, this is awful. I must be going to hell. And, um, but that's not actually what Jesus is saying. So I want to I give you a breather for a second. Jesus is not saying, if you, will, if you love me, you will absolutely 100% keep my commandments or you're a hypocrite. That's not what he's saying. Look, this is written in the Greek in a manner which it is, it is a proverbial truth. It's a general truth. It's not perfectly true every moment of your life, but in the lifespan of your life, it will be true. That maybe you're at the beginning of following Jesus, and man, you're not going to get it right all the time. You don't know all his commands. You haven't, your love for him is growing. You're still trying to figure it out, and you're just stumbling. Some of you guys, you're, you've been with Jesus for a long time, but you got stalled out somewhere back there, and so though you've been, you know, 30 years with Jesus, you're still like a teenager with Jesus in your spiritual life. And, and, but you're, you're obeying more than you did at the beginning. And I want to say that as you grow in your love for Christ and as you grow over the lifespan, eventually people would say, man, that person clearly loves Jesus. Their life is far more obedient to Christ than it isn't. You see, we're inconsistent as Christians. That doesn't mean we're hypocrites. Hypocrites are those who say they are one thing and do the opposite all the time. That their life is consistently opposite of what they claim. That's what, the, that's what the Pharisees were doing. Some of us might be hypocrites. We might be claiming we're Christians and not living anything like a Christian. You know, going out on Saturday night, getting drunk and crawling into church to get forgiven. Maybe you're out there sleeping around and, and having a good old time. You don't think that Jesus is going to convict you. Maybe you're out there gossiping away and holding unforgiveness. Whatever that is, if, if you're going to do that and, and claim you're a Christian without really seeing what Jesus is challenging you to, you need to double check yourself. But if you love Jesus, all I had to do is mention that and right now you, you're ready to start changing trajectory. You're ready to start adjusting what's going on because the heartbeat and the general truth of the Christian is we will obey what he commands. Now, I think that's pretty well illustrated in, in our children. Um, my children... Are, are, I hope, not unique but um, they in, in this way, but my wife will go to them and invariably will remind them, you need to clean your room. Anybody else tell your kids to clean their room? You remember that, right? Hey, you need to take the trash out. You need to get the chores done. And my children will do anything from obey to fall on the floor, screaming and yelling, I can't believe you'd make me do this. I hate living in a family. If I was by myself, I would never do these things. And you're just like, what possessed my child? We have spiritual warfare in my home. It happens with my kids. And so eventually they'll calm down. They'll come to us and they'll do this whole like, I'm sorry that I said that. And I'm like, I love you. I love you too. But I'd rather you obey us than yell and scream at us. Put some fruit in what you say. We love you. And I know you love me. And here's what's crazy. I know over time, my kids get over these things and they start learning because they want to love us. They want to show us that they, they love us. They want to obey us. And, and, they, and they come to that place where they start getting it right. Not all the time, but in general. I've watched them grow in their maturity. I've watched them grow in their ability to obey. I've watched them grow in their desire to obey. Same thing with us with, with Jesus. You're going to grow. It's called sanctification. You're going to develop in this obedience. Now, I think it's a reasonable expectation for Jesus to expect us to obey. 
I don't think we have to sit here and go like, oh my gosh, I can't believe Jesus would tell us that. Well, we won. We call him Lord. And I don't think that Lord, but it goes together. <laughs> right? At the same time, notice what Jesus does. When we ask him of something and he's before the Father, what does he do in verse 13? Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. He's willing to listen to us. In fact, later he, he'll ask the Father to do something. The Father will listen to the Son. In verse 31, it's, Jesus makes it very clear. He says, I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. And so he's expressing the fact that in God, in this trinity, as the Father loves the Son, they obey each other. And he's saying, if you love me, you're just going to live out the same way that love and obedience works together. That's not, I don't think, rocket science. I think it's something that's reasonably expected of one who we claim that we're devoted to and we're following. And I love it when it shows up. You know, some of, some of you came to, the, came to Olive Branch and, and at first you were just exploring who Jesus Christ was and you were not sure if you believed in this thing yet or not, but you, know, you met Jesus Christ and he transformed your life. And we've had over the years people where this has happened and they come and invariably they come up to us and they say, hey, uh, we really feel bad about this. We're like, what do you feel bad about? They're like, well, we just became Christians, but we're living together and, and we, we, we really feel like that's not right according to the scriptures. And you know what our response is? You evil sinners. No, that's not our response. We're like overjoyed that they're willing to confess that because you know what they say to us next? We want to get married because we want to do this right before God. That is a heart of love for Jesus that makes them respond in that way. Not some church set of rules, not some kind of pointing down finger yelling. No, they love Christ. And these people make hard sacrificial decisions to obey. And that is so honoring to God. And many of you have had to make decisions like that, whether it was abstinence when you were in high school or in college, whether it's that you, you've had to make a decision never to go into a bar ever again, or whether you've made a decision to, hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take time out of my day to really spend in caring for people or otherwise I wouldn't. Whatever your hard decision has been, you honor God when out of your love, you, you choose to obey him. And I wanna encourage you guys to continue to do that. But wouldn't it have been a heck of a lot easier if Jesus was still with us? I mean, didn't the disciples have like a total advantage over us? I mean, Jesus walking around doing stuff. He's like, you know, go, go bless those people. Yes, sir. No, say that. Okay, we will. You know, Jesus goes over there, does this miracle, and they're watching. They're like, how do you do that? Okay. Maybe I rub that in that guy's eye. You know, whatever. They, they got to see Jesus in action for three straight years. Who wouldn't want to do that? Who wouldn't want that kind of interaction with the Lord? And so it feels like he's almost like, hey, you got to love me, obey my commands, and feel almost like abandoned. Like, well, how, how in the world are we supposed to do that? You're not with us anymore. And Jesus addresses this. In fact, what's interesting is he says, no, I didn't abandon you because we've been given another Jesus to be with us, namely the Holy Spirit. Take a look at this, beginning in verse 16. So he's with the Father. He says, and I'll ask the Father while I'm with him, and he will give you another helper, 
Underline those lines. Underline the term, another and helper. Just, just take a pen out. It's okay. You can write in Bibles, even the ones under the seats, and just underline that right there. And it says, he's going to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither knows him or sees him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be with you. Now, that word another helper is the word um, another paraclete. I did not say parakeet. The, the Holy Spirit came as a dove, not a parakeet, but he's called a paraclete. It means one who comes alongside. And so this is another person who comes alongside, another helper. Maybe some of your Bibles read advocate. Anybody have advocate in their Bible? Um, anybody have counselor? Um, some of you guys will have aid. There's all kinds of terms that translate this word because it's a very broad term that doesn't kind of fit any category. Um, some people don't like the word advocate because uh, honestly, in the United States, we don't like lawyers. And that's what you think of when you think of an advocate. You're like, I don't want no lawyer hanging around me all day long. If you're a lawyer, we love you. And you, you can know Jesus too. And then the, some, some of them say aid and people go like, I don't like aid. I don't like helper because it makes it sound like the Holy Spirit's all about your life. You know, he's all for you and he's going to back you up in all your decisions. And that's not what's going on there. And then, you, and then you've got the third kind of group, which is counselor. And some people are like, look, most men, we don't like that term at all. I'm not going to go see a counselor. But it, because we think of it psychologically, like, was the Holy Spirit going to sit me down on a couch and start asking me questions about my childhood? But, and so they, they, there's this conundrum because there's another way that an advocate is good. Look, lawyers defend us. They stand up for us in the court of law. They know the rules and they're there to aid us. Not, not, not just aid us for our own lives, to aid us in our troubles, to aid us and help us to move forward. Uh, and then there's the fact that they're there to counsel us in the best decisions that we should make. And, and so advocate does work, helper does work, counselor does work, and yet it doesn't work. And you could go through all these other, all these other things. You, I, I've tried sponsor, and I like that one, like an AA sponsor. Because an AA sponsor is somebody who comes alongside you, who promotes you to the truth, reminds you, smacks you around a little bit, takes you, makes sure that you're continuing on the promises that you've said you would do. He's aiming you at a greater purpose and a greater point to be a better person in your life. And this is really kind of like what the Holy Spirit does. And yet the sponsor doesn't walk with you every day. He's not with you at every moment. And so that doesn't work either. So what term works? It's found in the other word, another. In Greek, there are two terms for the word another. On one side, you have the word another of a different kind. Well, I got another piece of fruit, but it wasn't an apple, it was an orange. So it'd be another of a different kind. Others would say it's another of the same kind. I got another apple. And so you would use that word here. This is another paraclete, another aid, sponsor, advocate. Well, when was the first one? Jesus was the first one. You see, Jesus is saying, I'm not leaving you alone. I'm sending you another Jesus, one who's going to walk with you. Guys, when you walk out of this room, if you have loved Jesus Christ and you walk with him, he told you, I'm sending to you another helper, one who is just like me. I'm, I'm going, another Jesus is going out. The very presence of Christ leaves with us every day. Jesus himself is with us. He is there to lead us and guide us. The Spirit of God is not with us to go, hey guys, I want to do something to endorse your life. No, he's there leading us. Notice how Paul puts it in the book of Galatians. 
Just after he lays out the fruit of the Spirit, he tells us to walk by the Spirit. He says, if we live by the Spirit or walk by the Spirit, let us also keep in step or stay in line with the Spirit. And it's the picture of an army marching behind their leader. It's the picture of the kindergartners coming out of the room behind the line leader. And the Spirit of God is the line leader. Are we keeping in step with the Spirit, or are we asking the Spirit to show up in our lives to make something cool happen for us? And that's the big difference, is that the Spirit of God dwells in us to empower and enable us to do the very mission of Jesus Christ on earth. That he is with you to empower you to do Jesus' works, to, to tell your friend about Christ, to share the hope, to bring justice, to enable the rebuke of somebody who is harming another, to stand up and know the truth and act ethically in this world. And the Spirit of God lives with you to enable you to do that very thing. It is Jesus with you every single day. That's pretty amazing. We've got the advantage here. They got three years with Jesus When you come to Jesus, you've got the rest of your life with him. And when she walks with you and teaches you and you go, wow, that's that's interesting. Well, what does that look like? How does that work? You know, how do I know he's with me? Well, some of you, you, you're you're probably more of a mind person like me. Oftentimes, I met most of the mind people. You'll receive different, you'll be talking, you'll be reading the scriptures. And for me, there are times I, I look at the scriptures, like this week when I was wrestling through this passage, I'm just like, I have no idea what I'm gonna do with this. I have no idea what it's saying necessarily all the time, and I'm totally confused. And I could work out the exegesis and get the Greek open and do all this stuff and use big words like I just used, and, and, and I can do that. But honestly, it only comes to connect when I sit down in prayer with it, and I ask the Spirit to begin to show me what he meant and how this works with all this other information that I've gathered, and then it unlocks and sometimes I just know what the Spirit wants me to do because it, I know it in my knower. Some of you guys are going like, I know what that's like. You're like walking in a room and you're just like, no, you're supposed to talk to somebody. You know you're supposed to pray with somebody. Some of you, you, get, you, you, you connect with the Lord in, a, in, a, in an emotional manner. You might get what's called a nudging or, or some kind of emotional sense of like, I really need to talk to them. And it doesn't come to you in like a knowledge. It comes to you in like an emotion. And I met many of you who are like, you have very emotional connections with God and he almost moves you in an emotional way to connect with people and to act in this world. Others of you, you're like, that is weird and funky, Greg. I have no idea what you're talking about. I've never experienced anything like that, but I know the spirit of God's with me. One of my friends said, I've never heard God's voice. I've never felt him move. I've never had him prompt me with scriptures. And I'm sitting here going, wow, really? And he's like, yeah, no, but I'll tell you how I know the spirit of God's with me. I see the scriptures and I do the scriptures. He's a hands-on kind of guy. He's like, I was overseas. I was doing this stuff. My dad had died and this had happened and that had happened and that had happened. And psychologically, I should have been a mess. But I was in an amazing place because God lifted me, empowered me, and made things happen that I could have never seen happen. And some of you know the Spirit of God is with you because the effects of your works are greater than when you would try to do it all by yourself. And so there are right thoughts, there are right emotions, there are right actions, and when we have those all together, there is the Spirit of God empowering the mission of Jesus behind you. And so it can look different. 
it can look very different. And, and so some of us go like, well, okay, well, how, when does this happen? What, what goes on here? When does the Spirit come? In fact, this might have been in the minds of them because here's what Jesus says at the end of verse 17. Grab, look back down with me. You know him, he says. You know the Holy Spirit, for he dwells with you. Meaning he lives around you. He, he lives with you right now, namely in Jesus Christ. And will, in the future tense, be in you. So he's not in you yet. So when did he get in him? And he begins to answer that question. Verse 18. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. So when he ascends, he's not going to leave us alone. Yet in a little while, the world will see me no more because he was going to die on the cross. But you will see me because I live, namely in his resurrection, you also will live. So he's speaking of a particular time in that day when he lives and they will live on the day of his resurrection, you will know that I am in my father and you in me and I in you. In other words, you will have this sudden experience and knowledge that I dwell in my Father and now we dwell in you. You will have the Holy Spirit. It's no wonder that in a few chapters, in John chapter 20, we see this happen. That when he had said this to them, he turns to them and says, as, I, as the Father sent me, so I send you. As he said this, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit to empower the very mission of God. In the book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 8, he says it in a different way. As he's standing there about to ascend into heaven, he looks at them and says, you will receive the power of the Holy Spirit when he's come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the end of the earth. I'm empowering you with my presence to lead you into the world to do the very mission that I've called you to do. We're not left alone. He's with us. So when do we receive this? When do we receive the Holy Spirit? Notice verse, he continues, while the, while the disciples would receive him in the day of resurrection at Pentecost, verse 21 says, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. So now he's not just talking about the disciples, he's talking about all of us. Do you have his commands? Do you love him? Are you following Christ? Then this is what happens. He says, and he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and I will manifest myself to him. What I believe this is referencing is really we're given the Spirit when we come to Christ. There will come a point at which God, Jesus will manifest himself to you. He's no longer a historical character or some superhero out of a comic book. But when he suddenly comes in your presence, you realize he's the living God who dwells now. You will come to realize you either bend your knee or you don't. And if you bend your knee and you come to the realization that he is alive and you're willing to follow him, he manifests himself to you. He comes into your life. He comes present in you to do his works. This was confusing to the disciples too. In fact, Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, verse 22, Lord, how is it that you're going to manifest yourself to us and not to the rest of the world? You know, he's thinking like, well, you're just going to appear and not, you know, how is everybody else not going to figure this out? And Jesus said, if anyone loves me, he'll keep my word. So if you're my disciple, my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Did you just read that? He's not just going to come hang out with humanity. 
That when Jesus Christ died on the cross, he took care of the sin that was invading and keeping us from a relationship with the creator God. He erases that out of the way if you've received him. And now he manifests, he shows himself off to you. How? By giving you the Holy Spirit, who is literally the Father and the Son living in you. Taking up residence like he's in you as a house. As Paul would say, you're his temple. You're the body of Christ. You're in Christ. You're his bride, beloved and kept and held in his home. Guys, we are indwelled by God. There's nothing like this in any other religion in the world in which you find the creator God willing to capitulate to live in his people. Sure, there can be gods who are in the heavens. Sure, there can be gods on Mount Olympus. Sure, there are the dharmas and stuff that you can discover. But no God leaves heaven, the holiest of holies, to dwell in sinful humanity except the God of the Bible who cleansed us out, shaped us to be his vessels, He dwells in this room in you right now if you know Jesus Christ to empower you to a greater purpose of living in loving your enemies, loving your neighbors, loving your God, preaching a message of redemption and hope, bringing reconciliation, bringing about justice. You take the steps in the road towards the life of Christ, whether that sacrifices things in your life or not, you will meet that the Spirit of God is there to empower you and lead you every step of the way. God lives in you. He didn't leave us alone. He's not up in the heavens looking down. He's so personal. The triune God is so relational. He said, I'm not just going to have a distant relationship with you. I'm going to sit and be in you. That you are almost in a sense assumed up by the Spirit of God into the very life and actions of the living God on this earth. You are no mere mortals. You're his image. And if he has cleansed you from your sin, he dwells in you to do great things regardless of your age, regardless of your abilities, regardless of your considerations of who you think you are. God has come to bring you to do good works that he's laid before you and empower you in. This is amazing. He has sent out Jesus's throughout the world. And he's shaping each one of us into that very likeness. Well, that, that overwhelms me. But for some of you, you're like, that's cool. But as my daughter said to me the other night, Dad, I, but I don't feel like God's near me. Well, I don't feel him. I'm like, oh, babe, I get that. She's like, I I don't feel like he's... I said, well, hey, when you're asleep and your mom and dad are standing over you, and right there she's like, how often do you guys do that? That's like a a creepy thought to a 12-year-old. My parents come in and stare at me every night. (laughs) Like, no, it's only been like once or twice in your life we come over and we pray over you. But when you're asleep and unconscious, you don't realize we're near you. You don't feel our nearness. Even though you're not aware of it, the truth remains. See, just because some of you aren't aware the presence of God is in your life doesn't mean that he's not. The truth is the truth. Whether you feel it or sense it or not, there are many things that are true right now that we don't sense. There are many things that are true to the blind man that he doesn't see. 
or to the deaf man that he doesn't hear. God is dwelling in you. You go, well, why can't I feel him? Well, it's not about spatial nearness. It's about relational nearness. And let's be honest, if you're not really sensing him, you're probably just way too busy about your own stuff. I mean, welcome to the reality that some of us are so busy, the relationship of your marriage is falling apart because you're not willing to talk to the person you married. You're not willing to spend the time when you get home after traffic to have a long, intimate conversation what's going on in your soul and what's happening in your life. You're sort of like a teenager who got home. How'd school go? Fine. There is no intimacy in that. If you don't have right kind of truths being exchanged and you're getting to know each other, if you don't have the right actions towards one another where you're affectionate, kind, you're actually engaged and connecting with each other, serving one another, giving each other the things that each other need, there's no intimacy there. If you don't have the right set of emotions behind this, if you're not actually trying to engage emotionally with one another, but you're guarded and shut down emotionally, there's not going to be intimacy. And if that's how we treat each other as humans, I guarantee you may be treating God that way. And so there's not going to be a sense of intimacy. When's the last time you sat down and listened to the Lord speak to you in the Word of God? When's the last time you dropped the excuse, I don't like to read, to meet and hear from the God who speaks? Or I, I don't know how to pray, to speak to the God who's listening, who already knows your hearts and your needs. To sit in silence and let the busyness go away instead of punching on the radio because we don't like it because it unsettles our souls. God's with you. He was with you last night in all that you were doing. He'll be with you at where, whatever water you're jumping into at Memorial Day. He'll be with you at the picnic. He was here in worship. It wasn't a concert. He was present to receive from you your praise. Or did you just sing a song? Did you just say some words? Intimacy is about relationship and he's present with us and sometimes we don't feel it because we don't have that. Second, maybe because you're not saved. You see, the world doesn't get the Holy Spirit. We get the Holy Spirit when we're saved. The Spirit was only for Christians, not for the world. He said it several times. They don't listen to him. They're not going to receive him. They don't, they don't, they're not connected to his word. They don't obey his word. Why would they receive it? Now, the world's got some amazing stuff, amen? They got, we got Google in this world. Google's awesome. We, we've, got, we've got science and applied sciences and engineering marvels that the world's never seen. We've got medicine. We've got everything that we need, says the world, except they're missing the greatest resource. They don't have God. They don't have the very presence of the creator, God dwelling in them to give them everything they need. Sure, we got Google. If we really want the trivial and we want to learn about our, our famous people and our celebrities and find out when something happened and the dates and the details, that's trivia. But can you get on Google and type in what is the point of my existence on earth and have it give you any decent response? Can you dive in and say, how am I supposed to live ethically amongst these people at my work? How am I supposed to fix this relationship and this problem and so it's truly peace? How am I supposed to have a relationship with God? Where, do I, where is God? How do I know God? Google's not going to answer these things for you. It's not going to tell, tell you what's wrong with the world. Siri's, Siri's got, not got a clue. 
Science will tell you why you exist in the sense of how your cells work and how things happen and, why the, and how the planet has life and how the universe has stuff. But it's not going to tell you why you exist. Science will keep you living, or medicine will keep you living, but it won't ever give you a purpose to live. These are all given to you by a maker. These are all given to you by the one who gave, who lives in you and dwells in you. And yet how many of us are living out our lives like we live in the world? We're missing the very powerful resource of God himself living in you because we're just too busy. We're just too distracted, too entertained. I'm telling you, we are missing out on the most vital, most powerful, most life-giving element in any faith and it is the presence of God dwelling in you. Yeah, use Google. Yes, use science. Go get the medicine. But have a purpose and a meaning that your God gives you and empowers you and enables you to do and live in a way that no, no one in the world has seen because that's what he's given us to do. That's why Jesus is so amazing to look at. And yet that's the life he challenged us to have, the eternal life, the life of giving ourselves away and loving one another and standing for justice and singing of truth and knowing God. That's awesome. And it's because the Spirit's here to help. And that's what Jesus says. He says, hey, these things I've spoken to you, verse 25, um, while I'm still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I have said to you. So he tells the apostles, look, don't think that you can't remember my words. You're freaked out. You're not going to obey my commands because you're going to forget what I said. No, the Spirit of God will bring to remembrance all that I've said to you. What's beautiful is the apostles took what they remembered because the Spirit of God guided them and we have what we have today as our Bible. This is inspired by the word of God, brought to us as the, from the recollections, the memories, and the teachings of Jesus to be applied to our lives in various categories. And that's what the New Testament is, the teachings of Jesus. You have God's word to you. And then here's the crazy thing. Some of you open and you're like, but it's so hard to understand. I agree. It's old. It doesn't have any of the same kind of forms and things that we have. And we ought to dive in to understand what those are. But here's the thing. You have the Spirit of God to help you understand the basics. He unlocks the Scriptures to you. Some of you can even learn that. You may, not have, you may not be a Christian. You can still learn the Bible. You can learn what it says. The difference will be you won't be convicted by the Bible. It won't grab your soul and make you feel like, I must do this or I'm not going to please God. Because the Spirit of God illuminates the Bible so that you have to live it. And he empowers you to live it. Oh, he challenges you and he says to you, do you think you make enough money now? What if from this point on you gave the rest away? Do you think you're using your time rightly now? Hey, maybe you should use your gifts now to, to promote something in this world that can make a difference for my name. And he just, and suddenly you find behind you this energy of God pressing you forward to do the very things of God. Because he is there to empower his word. The second thing he gives to us is he is the peace. Verse 27, Jesus says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. This ain't no peace, bro. Not that peace. That, not as the world gives do I give to you. This isn't inner calm. This isn't being okay with yourself. This is shalom. This is all things in the right place because they are in right place with God. You see, when you have shalom, you're in right relationship with God. Such a right relationship, the Spirit of God is present in you, that is peace. 
He cleaned it away so that he would dwell with you. And so he goes on to tell us, this is the very peace. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I'm going away and I'm going to come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I'm going to the Father and the Father is greater than I, saying, you would rejoice because I'm achieving what I've been aiming at, to be with the Father and fulfill what the Father's will is. And now I have told you before it takes place so that when it does take place, you can trust me. Because I'm, I'm about to go to the cross is what he's saying. I, I will no longer talk much with you for the rule of this world is coming. So Satan was coming to capture and take Jesus. Says, Don't worry about it though. He has no claim on me. What I do at the cross, I do as the Father has commanded me so the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let's go from here. And so Jesus, in obedience to his Father, empowered by the Holy Spirit, went to the cross, bore our sins to cleanse the sin out of the way that the God of the universe might move into yours and my life to unite us together as one thing called the church, to be his presence and light in this world. And he empowers you to do that, to obey him from love. My thought for you this week is, how have you been doing at connecting with the personal God who is dwelling in you right now? I want to challenge you. Maybe some of us, it's time to pick it back up. And maybe some of us, it's time to take that step forward where we know he's been convicting us in Scripture or prompting us in our hearts and to see where God is leading and to see the incredible things he will do for his name by his Spirit through his people who love him and are willing to obey. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, it is um, overwhelmingly incredible that you would love us this way. That you're not a deistic God in the heavens, that you're the God who dwells in our lives and our hearts. Incredible that you love us this way. As we now step into this time of worship, as we now step in this time of, 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 of just rising up to love you and to stand for you and to remind ourselves of the sacrifice that you made, but even more, that God, there have been people in this world who've made sacrifices and we remember them on this Memorial Day that have done that for us. God, may we learn to obey you as you teach us to be sacrificial in our obedience and our love for you. Oh, we long to live out that mission that you call us on. Empower us, we pray, because you're with us. So it's not a guilty thing. This is an exciting thing. Oh, lead us from here, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.